0: you are listening to Maghreb and Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. Today's episode was recorded on July 22, 2022, at the Tangier American Legation Institute for Moroccan Studies. In this podcast, we welcome Dr. Samuel Anderson for a conversation on his research entitled A History of Franco-Muslim Education in Morocco and in Northwest Africa which he conducted in Morocco as a grantee of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies. Dr. Samuel Anderson is currently a visiting assistant professor of history at Pomona College in Claremont, California. He received a PhD in African history from the University of California, Los Angeles in 2018. His research focuses on education, race, and religion in Northwest African Muslim societies under colonial rule. His current project, examines the madrasas, so-called Franco-Muslim schools, that combined Islamic and European curricula in a French effort to colonize Islamic schooling and the Muslim elite in the Maghreb and West Africa. He has conducted research on this topic in Algeria, Mauritania, Senegal, France, and now Morocco, with the support of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies, the Council of American Overseas Research Centers, and other organizations. Portions of this project have been published in the journals Islamic Africa, and history in Africa. Sam, welcome. We're so delighted to have you here
1: today. I'm delighted to be here.
0: So why don't you tell us first about how you became interested in this topic?
1: Well, I first became interested in African history as an undergraduate through sort of francophone studies, francophone literature, and then I uh, realized as I started delving into the question of what the African past looked like that there was this distinction between North Africa and West or Sub-Saharan Africa. And so from a very early point, I was interested in learning about the place of North Africa in African history and the sort of driving goal that I had in going to graduate school was to do a trans-Saharan research project. So as I started moving towards the dissertation phase, uh, I was really happy to discover these madrasas, which were a prime example of a trans-Saharan history that had been, I think, overlooked because of the way that North has study North Africa, uh, West Africanists study West Africa. And so there's this sort of disjuncture in the scholarship and the historiography of the region. and so this is something that I became interested in not through the education angle, not through the colonialism angle necessarily, but really because it was a trans-Saharan history.
0: So tell me more about what a Franco-Muslim education is. How did it develop?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, and it's one that's a little bit hard to answer because it's such a big idea. I think looking through the literature, you'll see a lot of um, references to Franco-Muslim education or enseignement Franco-Musulman, as it is in French, and it means different things at different times and to different people. Um, In the history that I'm studying, it's a specific kind of education that develops in the colonial period through the colonial administration, right? The French are very interested in, as you said in the introduction, colonizing Islamic education because it's such an important method of creating the social elite and reproducing social trends over time right there's a lot of institutions that are linked to islam obviously in the muslim world and so if the colonizing power is able to control the education the idea is that they'll be able to control the muslim elite and so this is an idea that developed in algeria early in the french colonization. So in 1850, only 20 years after the conquest, the French set up three of these medersas in the cities of Algiers, Constantine and Tlemcen. So one in the center, one in the east, and one in the west. And these are schools that are designed to take over the existing Islamic education system. Over the next 50 years or so, the French negotiate with the Muslim elite of these cities to decide how much control each group has. So there's a process of negotiation involved. And what it ends up looking like in Algeria is an official school system that trains people at the high school level and sometimes into the college level, the university level, with two curricula, like you said in the introduction. So there's an Islamic education, Arabic language, but then also a French curriculum. And so the idea is students who go through these schools will be fully trained in what the French ended up calling a double culture of the Orient and the Occident, right? The East and West, Islam and France. And the idea behind that is that there will be this elite that understands Islam, that can be the sort of guiding light for the masses, but also friendly to the French colonial project. And so in Algeria, they end up creating a system where to become an imam, to become a mufti, to become a muezzin, to have any sort of position of Islamic authority in the official Islamic system, as it's called, you have to have graduated from one of these madrasas. So they become the pipeline to this sort of system. Uh, in the early 20th century, the system expands as the French are expanding in West Africa. So madrasas are created in Senegal, in Mauritania and in the French Sudan. So it's today Mali set up in several different cities around there and the process of adaptation continues. One of the interesting things about this topic is that you can see a process of negotiation, as I said, between the local elite, but also with the French colonizing powers. And I think one of the most interesting things about this West African expansion is you can see the way that the French are bringing a sort of racial lens to think about these ideas. There's documents that I found that show that the French leaders of these schools say, really in Senegal, the system doesn't make sense because black people can't be Muslims. They're not capable of understanding the depth of the Arabic language or these ideas. And so there's a way in which the idea of Franco-Muslim education encompasses much more than just going to school every day and learning something. It reflects a lot of different ways that the colonizers are thinking about their societies. And then also through the resistance to that, that you see from local populations, you can see these West Africans saying, actually, no, we are... (laughs) good Muslims, this is a system that works for us, we'd be happy to keep going in certain cases. But then the the French shut that system down in Senegal fairly quickly. I have seen documents that show that in Mauritania, the system actually takes off because the French are able to cater to the sort of racial superiority that certain groups in Mauritania have. So they find this sort of way of melding different kinds of racial thinking, sort of the European and the indigenous Saharan racial thinking in these systems. So that's a broad overview of what I think the impact of Franco-Muslim education is. Um, Like I said, it moves beyond just the process of going to school and then you get a much clearer sense of what colonial society overall looks like.
0: So this is a system that was born in Algeria and developed there early on. Mm -hmm. How does Morocco figure into the history of the idea of Franco-Muslim education?
1: That's a good question. That's why I'm here in Morocco. And I think at the time of recording, I'm still working on that idea of figuring out exactly how that is. Because in Morocco, the case is different. The schools that I came here to look at are called the Collège Musulman, which are set up around the same time as the West African schools in the early 20th century. Um, there's two of these that are set up in the 19-teens, the Collège Moulay Youssef in Rabat and the Collège Moulay Idris in Fez. And these are, like the other Franco-Muslim schools, places that have a mixed curriculum that's designed to educate the future elite of Morocco. But there are also certain distinctions. Some of the French are very clear that these are not madrasas. People say this is a different system. Um, That's, I think, because of the protectorate, right? In Algeria and in West Africa, you have a settler colony and then just regular colonies. In Morocco, there's this idea that there's a distinction there. And I think the French are a little reluctant to say that they're going to exert full control over the Islamic education system. So you can see that the idea is present in Morocco, that it's adapting. You can see that the institutions are there and also changing a bit in terms of the local context. But there are also individuals who are linking the the Moroccan history with that of Algeria and, and West Africa as well. So when the system is being set up originally, there are certain French Orientalists, these Scholars who created foundational texts of North African studies who taught in the Medersas or in other parts of the colonial education system are being sent from Algeria to Morocco to conduct studies and sort of see what's feasible for this. Um, the two most prominent of those that I found are a guy named Alfred Bell and a guy named Georges Marseille, both of whom were teaching at the Madrasa of Tlemcen. So just across the border in Algeria, they went to Morocco and um, set up the system and then also, there are people who are coming from West Africa. So, um, a guy named Paul Marti and a guy named Jules Saleng, both of whom were involved in the madrasa of Saint Louis in Senegal, and instrumental in closing it down, both wound up as the director of the Collège Musulman in Fez. So I think if I could find documentation that showed them reflecting on this experience, you would see a way that they would be probably creating distinctions between the West African and North African histories. Um, so I think Morocco serves as an interesting case study to see how this system adapted in different contexts.
0: So actually, that brings me to my next question. I think mm-hmm. our listeners are always fascinated by hearing about your research process. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your sources, the process of researching and delving into this mm-hmm. topic both here in Morocco, but in general. How, how are you going about this?
1: Yeah, that's a good question that I love to talk about, probably at too great length. I have found the process of researching this topic to be extremely complicated. I think oftentimes, especially in the the sort of olden days, people would write colonial histories out of French archives. You know, Aix-en-Provence has a major archive of French colonial history. The French diplomatic archives in Nantes and in Paris have a lot of records related to Morocco and Tunisia. I've been to those archives and I found a lot of good material, but it wasn't enough. So I've had to spend a lot of time traveling around to Morocco, but also to, to Algeria, to Senegal, to Mauritania, looking for different records. And I've found, I think, sort of a microcosm of the problems of conducting research in colonial history. So just to give an example, like I said at the beginning, there are three madrasas in Algeria, in Tlemcen, and in Algiers, and in Constantine. So I went to all three of those places. In Constantine, I found a few records that were preserved in the wilaya of Constantine, so the sort of state archive of the region, but really not very much there at all. In Tlemcen, there's a fairly significant amount of material that's held in Aix-en-Provence in France that was taken there at independence, at Algerian independence, but really not that much and very little on the 20th century. It's mostly the 19th century. In Algiers, I was digging around and an Algerian colleague of mine said, you know, you might just go to the school and see what's there because these schools still exist. They were transformed into secular high schools at independence. and." Lo and behold, once I got the appropriate permissions from the various agencies, they had kept basically their entire archive just in the attic. So I was able to go through, look at materials from the 1860s or 70s all the way through the 1950s and 60s. I could see the full scope of that history there, but it wasn't in an official archival repository. It was something that I was only able to do because I was in Algeria, because I had the good luck to have someone tell me that I could do it. And then a series of officials who stamped the right papers and let me in, So there's really a process of investigation that you have to go through to find these different places and these different archives and because like i said before the schools underwent a process of adaptation in each place i found that i had to go to all of the places and to really understand the local context so i've tried to develop this idea of of what i call a multi-local history where you go between different places And you can see the connections that are not present if you just go to the sort of major archives, because a lot of that material isn't present in one single place.
0: So why does this history matter to us now?
1: Well, I think that's also a good question. There's a lot of different ways that it connects to the present. I think a lot of historians have dismissed these schools over the years saying, oh, they were just a colonial effort to try something and it didn't really work. I don't think that's true i think there's a lot of ways that studying these schools can help us understand not only that the history of the colonial period i think you see a lot of the elite of these countries at independence are actually coming out of these schools um, a lot of algerian diplomats a lot of like really important figures in algeria are graduates of the madrasas. mohtar waltada who's the first president of Mauritania, and most of his friends and his cabinet all graduated from the madrasa of Boutilimit in Mauritania. In Morocco, the same thing is true. The College Musouma are sort of famous as the origins of the nationalist movement in Morocco in, in many ways. So we can see by comparing these schools across these different regions, a different sense of how the post-colonial elite is being trained. I think these schools also offer us lessons for understanding the particularly vexed relationship between France and Islam, right? This idea of official laïcité that the French developed during the colonial period is undermined by the sense that there is a parallel effort to create an official Islam, that they're trying to really show themselves to be a quote-unquote Muslim power. That's a term that they use a lot, at the same time that they're developing this idea of an official secularism. And I think there's also lessons for the present in terms of thinking about the relationship between Islam and the state. So in Morocco, for example, the Muhammad VI Institute for the Training of Imams is an organization that was created in 2015 based in Rabat. And the idea of this is that imams and other Muslim scholars from around, particularly northwest Africa, will travel to Rabat, be trained in quote-unquote Moroccan Islam, and then go home to their countries and promulgate a sort of peaceful idea of what Islam should be. There have even
0: been imams from Europe traveling
1: Mm -hmm. to Rabat. Exactly. So there's an interesting inversion of this colonial history. And I think there's a lot to think about there in terms of, especially now how Morocco is trying to position itself as an African power in the same way that the French were, or not the same way, but a way that has resonances with the French project in the 20th century.
0: So that leads me to my final question, what next? Where do you anticipate going next with this project?
1: That is a question that I'm trying to answer myself. I think once I wrap up here in Morocco in the next few days, I have another archival stop in France that I'm going to do. So by the time this podcast is posted, I'll have seen <laughs> if that's as rich as I hope it is. We're looking at the private archives of an Orientalist who was very active in Algeria and I think had a lot of relationships with the Medersa. So that's another example of an archive that is not yet part of the official state apparatus that I'll hopefully have access to. So I'll hopefully fill in some blanks through that. And then I'm trying to turn this project into a book. The dissertation is now well in the past. And so I've been in the process of trying to transform it into something that people can read, which is a challenge given the challenges of research and writing amid COVID and everything else. And also as a contingent faculty member, you know, looking for that tenure track stability, but it's been a fun, project to follow over the years. And I'm hopeful that moving forward, it will still be an interesting one that people can then read once it's written.
0: Wonderful. Well, I look forward to reading it and to hearing more about your explorations around just Morocco or Northern Africa, but really all of Northwest Africa and your very global perception of this issue. Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Samuel Anderson. You have been listening to Maghrib in Past and Present Podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themagribpodcast.com as well as on iTunes and Podbean.